Blog Talk Radio. right this time. Russ Green here. Welcome to Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students, coming to you live from the offices of Lives in the Balance. Here in Portland, Maine, I screwed up the intro on the parents program this morning, but um, thankfully seem to have pulled this intro off just fine. How are you? How's it going in your building uh, here near the end of March 2013 uh, as you are trying to, as you get near the end of the school year, still hang in there with your behaviorally challenging students. I hope you've been solving problems collaboratively with them all year and that you can now look in the rearview mirror at all that you've accomplished. If that's not what you've been doing, it's never too late in a school year to get the ball rolling. Uh, Several of the schools in our project here in Maine are implementing the model and just learning how to do it fairly late into the school year. And um, good to get people oriented so that they can start off the next school year with a bang. Uh, Or, if that's not the ideal analogy, um, hit the ground running. How's that? Uh, That call-in number is 646-727-2691. Good day to call in uh, because I'm going to be mostly answering email today. Um, But good day for callers. Callers always take priority on this program. Um, So let me give you that call-in number again, 727-2691, area code Six four six. Got a question? Got a comment? Today's a good day to do it. I'm going to be catching up on email today. Um, if you want an email reminder, a Twitter reminder, a tweet, as they are known, um, that the program is on the air, sign up to get tweeted to. It's the only thing I use Twitter for, since I'm betting there's not a great deal of interest in my geographic location Um, what I'm spending my free time doing, um, what dog food I'm feeding my dog, probably of limited interest. Um, But if you want a reminder that the program is on the air, uh, go to the radio program section of the Lives in the Balance website and sign up to get tweeted to. Uh, Yes, I have succumbed to social media. The Lives in the Balance Facebook page is becoming more active. We are um, making important concessions to social media. Some people actually like doing that stuff. I'm not necessarily one of them. And if you want to hear from us periodically to learn about what's going on at Lives in the Balance and all that's in the pipeline... On the homepage of the Lives in the Balance website, you can sign up for um, our newsletter, Action Plan B, and uh, stay in the loop. That's in the lower left-hand corner. Uh, Some other things on the website that might interest you. 
um, the radio programs, the most recent radio programs are always posted on the homepage of the Lives in the Balance website. Also on the homepage right now is a segment that aired last week on Maine Public Broadcasting Network all about Lives in the Balance and our work in the juvenile detention system in Maine and the schools in Maine. You can watch that on the Lives in the Balance website just by going to the homepage. It'll pop right up there for you. Um, that was on TV last week here in Maine. Um, we've got some new video from last year's conference now up on the website, and it won't be on the homepage forever, but it's on the homepage now. Um, we put together some more mini documentaries from some of the schools that are participating in our project in Maine, and uh, those are viewable now from the homepage. And yes, uh, also on the homepage, Yes, the homepage, there's too much on there right now. Some stuff's going to have to come off. If all that stuff's on the homepage and there's too much on the homepage, um, is the, um, well, the flyer, the announcement for the 2013 conference. We're going to do the conference every year in Portland, Maine. This year's is going to be on November 8th, 2013. The theme is There's a Better Way, and this is going to be called the Third Annual International Summit on non-adversarial, non-punitive interventions for at-risk kids. We are expanding it beyond uh, my model. There will still be lots of solving problems collaboratively in the uh, conference, but we're going to be including some other non-adversarial, non-punitive interventions as well um, and sort of galvanize people, uh, even if uh, solving problems collaboratively is not their only model that they um, love and espouse, well, they can hear about lots of other models from this year's conference and moving forward. All right, shall we go to the email? Let's start. Dr. Green, I'm a grade one teacher and I work at a school that is struggling with effectively assisting students in need with both their explosive and or implosive behaviors. The difficulty is that there are so many students in our school with these needs in our school and in each classroom, how can we help each student solve problems collaboratively when there are so many of these students in our classrooms and students who are not having the same difficulties are trying to learn while we, the teachers, are still trying to teach the curriculum? I use the Plan B approach regularly, but it is a process, one that consumes quite a bit of time, if done properly and in order for it to be effective. I'm a big believer of solving problems collaboratively, but how am I supposed to maintain order and focus among my students who are trying to learn and work. Use Plan B for students in need, when often it requires using it several times for several different students throughout the day and still find time to teach the curriculum. I would love to hear suggestions. Thank you. I would love to give you some suggestions. The, the, the main thing is this. Don't get overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude of the task at hand. Create 15 minutes a day is what a lot of the schools in our project in Maine are doing. 15 minutes a day that each teacher in the building is carving out and committing to solving problems collaboratively with kids. That's a lot of problem-solving time, and if every teacher in the school is doing it, that's a problem-solving school. The problem is that when people first get to know about solving problems collaboratively, and when people first start to like it and then feel that they want to do it, 
they also come face to face with what they wish they'd been doing all along but hadn't been doing all along. And they come face to face with all of the problems that have piled up over time. And there are a lot of them. How is it that they've piled up? They've piled up because they've remained unsolved. So there's a lot of them. Don't get overwhelmed by that. It's easy for me to say, but don't get overwhelmed by that. Just, it's, it's good, by the way, that people are finally now focused on lagging skills and unsolved problems instead of what people used to be focused on, diagnoses and behavior and consequences. It is good that a school is making that transition, but it's not an easy transition to make, first and foremost, because learning how to use Plan B and the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems isn't easy. Those are hard to master. It can be done, but it takes a little while. It's not immediate. But number two, transforming an entire building so that it is responding this way to problems of students is hard. And there's a lot of those problems, and there's a lot of those students. So a few things to make this as badly as we want to solve all of those problems all at once. It's not going to be possible to do it. You've got this is like going to be a one to three year plan here, a one to three year plan. As I always say, the faster we try to go, the slower it takes. Um, let's get started with a small group of people in your building. We sometimes call it the core group people who are learning to get good at the model first. Then we'll expand it to everybody else in the building. Can't start with everybody in the building because there's too many people, and if they try it, enthusiastic though they might be, if they aren't feeling very skilled at it, the enthusiasm will soon dissipate. Let's start with a small core group of people who get good First, at using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems and at doing Plan B, and those people will serve as mentors to other people in the building once the people in the core group get good at it. So we're going to start small in that way. Notice the key word here, start. Start. Um, second, we're going to have to start small with the number of kids to whom the model is being applied as well. Can't start with every kid. Can't solve every problem. We can start small. We can start with the frequent flyer students, the students who are accessing the school discipline program the most, the students who it's crystal clear are not benefiting from the school discipline program as it presently exists. If they were benefiting from the school discipline program as it presently exists, they wouldn't be frequent flyers the fact that they're frequent flyers proves to us, and frequent flyer meaning that they're accessing the school discipline program a lot. Any student who's accessing the school discipline program a lot isn't benefiting from the school discipline program, and neither are the rest of us. Got to start small there, too. Let's select a finite number of students who we're going to be trying to apply the approach to. Let's select a finite number of problems that we're going to start working with them on first. Let's get good at it. That small group of people in the core group, let's get them good at it. Then let's expand it to the rest of the building. 
to the other frequent flyers in the building, to the other kids in the building who aren't frequent flyers. Start small. The key word, start. If we try to solve all those problems all at once, we're going to get very discouraged and we're going to end up not solving any of them at all. So I'm glad that you are a believer in solving problems collaboratively. As it applies to your specific classroom, grade one, your grade one classroom, identify the kids who you think are most disruptive to the classroom process. Start with them. Prioritize what you're going to be working with them on. I would prioritize issues that are uh, unsolved problems that are causing safety issues, unsolved problems that are causing disruptions. A lot of teachers have said to me that this model helped them realize that they had to get their classroom under control and the disruptions under control before they were going to teach anything. Uh, Many classroom teachers have said to me that they were a little reluctant to focus so much on getting the classroom under control because they felt that the academics would fall by the wayside if they did so, but then they came to recognize that the academics were falling by the wayside anyways because um, they were so frequently having to deal with behavior. Just don't bite off more than you can chew. Start small. Devote 15 minutes a day to it. You're going to chip away at those unsolved problems, and slowly but surely, you're going to have something to show for your efforts if you start small. Keyword, start. Naturally, if you want any further discussion about that, call in 646-727-2691. In the meantime... Let's move on to our next email. Hold on one second. I'm going to answer that one last. Uh, Hi, Dr. Green. Here is um, my colleague's first attempt at a whole group plan B with her fourth grade class. It is a very challenging class, and she dreads having a sub. We will be talking about it together next week, and I thought your input would be great for our discussion. Thanks. Teacher to the class, yesterday's sub said you were having difficulty, this is to the entire class, with being quiet when she was giving directions, even when she clapped and used the bell and the lights. Some other teachers say this is a chatty group too. Why? What's up? Students would like to talk a lot. People were arguing and getting irritated. Some people were being unkind, saying shut up, uh, trying to control other people. Some ignore the bell and just keep talking. Teacher, that's confusing. People ignored the bell and just kept talking. Students, people keep talking to finish the conversation and then others try to control a few of us are talking, and then others see it, and it, then it gets more and more. 
teacher. I'm still not sure. Some people do it. Is it the entire class? Students. Conversations keep going because people are trying to make a point. Some people try to take advantage of the sub. Teacher. This is an issue with specials and others, and sometimes me too. All right, so that's the empathy step of this. And uh, although I appreciate that that may have taken a meaningful amount of time, um, and we have gathered a fair amount of information here, as I always do, I'm questioning whether we fully understand what's happening when the sub is asking the class to be quiet. We have, I've got a pretty good idea here. Some people keep talking, and then other students, it sounds like, try to tell them to stop talking. People get irritated with each other, start arguing with each other. Um, define the problem. Teacher, my concern is that when we have to wait for talkers, that's instructional time taken away. Now I'm feeling a little bit that we're drifting um, because I'm no longer sure if we're talking about being quiet when the sub asks us to on a timely basis or whether we're talking about being quiet in general, but let's keep going into the invitation. Teacher, what are some ways we can help ourselves so we don't waste learning time? Now, here's my first piece of critical feedback. Um, I usually like the invitation to recap the concerns of both parties, um, and I don't quite frankly understand what problem we're trying to solve with that invitation. Here's the student's response. Some people are influenced to talk by others, teacher. So separate kids who are easily influenced by others to talk. Move desks to students who are tight. We should move desks. Well, now, i got to interrupt here. I don't know where that solution came from because that's not what the students said and we do want to give them the first crack at the solution. So that came a little bit out of left field to me. Students, yeah, then people won't be talking so much, but you have to keep moving the people who talk. Teacher, how often? Students, once a month, twice a month, once a week. Teacher, I can't live with switching every week. I could try two times a month. We'll have to revisit it then. Should we keep the desks like this or move the desks into groups? Students, groups are better. There's more space. Then instead of putting a kid in the hallway or taking away a recess, if they keep talking, you could move them in the room. Teacher, so we should try groups. Uh, it would be better to be less cluttered and have more space. Should I choose groups or you? Talk amongst yourselves. Call out your ideas. Students, two girls, two boys, boys and girls mixed. Teacher, we have more boys than girls, so more boys will have to be in a group. I'll ask you all who you think would be best for grouping. I'll come in during break to move the desks, and then we'll check in after one week to see how it's going. All right, so that's the end of 
this plan B that took place. And um, so in terms of my feedback, I once again don't know where the um, uh, separating kids idea came from. It sounds like it came from the teacher. Um, Can't quite tell if we're getting a consensus going in the classroom about uh, what the solution should be. Um, Can't tell if we're talking about when the sub is there or in general. So there's a few things that I think need to be tightened up on. And then lastly, when I'm thinking about solutions, I go back to I mean, my understand. I'm actually, I'm not even sure I understand the solution that well. I, I, we might be talking about. I get the group thing. I'm not exactly sure where the group thing came from either. It sounds like that came from the kids. But the the suggestion is that we would separate kids who are easily influenced by others to talk, and move the desks of the students who are tight. I think tight with each other is what that means. Um, So the basic idea there is we will keep kids who talk to each other away from each other. And it is through that environmental adaptation that we will help kids stop talking when the sub flashes the lights, clapping, using the bell, Etc. What I'm always doing is I'm thinking about that solution and now reflecting back on um, what the concerns were. We like to talk a lot. Some people were trying to get the people who were who talk a lot to stop talking. Some ignore the bell and just keep talking. We are saying that we are going to get those things to happen primarily through an environmental adaptation, separating kids who talk to each other. I guess it's worth a try. I have my doubts. I think that... um, I think I would have stayed in the empathy step longer to get a better feel and I to get a better feel for what's going on when people are talking but I also think we especially need to tighten up what it is that we're working on here are we working on having kids be more responsive when it's time to be quiet when the sub is there are we working on chattiness in general that I couldn't quite tell So I think the unsolved problem probably needs to be tightened up a little bit. And I think that the um, concerns need to be fleshed out further. Whether you're doing this with a large group of kids or with individual kids, if, in other words, I think that there's more to why kids aren't being responsive when the sub says it's time to be quiet than merely the fact that 
there are kids who don't stop talking, and then other kids in the class try to get them to stop talking by telling them to shut up. I think there's more to it than that. And I think that um, whether you're doing this with an individual child or with a group, if we don't get the concerns of the different parties clarified well, then the solution is going to reflect that lack of clarity. Um, I don't know if the environmental adaptation of moving kids who like to talk to each other away from each other is going to get the job done, and having people in groups is going to get the job done. It sounds like the group part is the less essential part. Separating people who like to talk to each other sounds like the most important part. I guess you'll find out, but feel free to email back or call into the program and let us know how it's going. Here's another. Now, this one um, comes from an inpatient unit. That part doesn't matter. But it's related to the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll read the parts of it that are relevant to our discussion here because this is very relevant to what goes on in schools when schools are using the ALSIP as well, and we don't have a specific program for inpatient units, so I'll answer the question here. When trying to help staff understand the importance of and identify unsolved problems and lagging skills, I've often found that they tend to do better when looking at trends in unsolved problems in order to identify lagging skills. This, however, is in reverse order to what is explained in the model. I realize that identifying lagging skills and unsolved problems is a simultaneous and ongoing process, but are there any inherent problems with looking at the commonalities in unsolved problems in order to specify lagging skills? I have, may have missed something in the literature, but I did not remember any, reading anything about this. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, I responded to this by email already, but let me respond to it on the radio program, too. Yes, it's true. The way that I usually recommend people use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems is to start with a lagging skill, Ask the degree to which that lagging skill is applicable to the student that is being discussed at that moment. If the answer is no, to move on to the next lagging skill. But the minute the answer is yes, to check off the lagging skill. And then, as I always say, move over to identifying unsolved problems. And unsolved problems are examples of times when a lagging skill got in the kid's way. Now, there's a few different ways to word that. I, I have different wordings for unsolved problems. One is the specific conditions in which a particular lagging skill caused difficulty. But here's another. The specific expectations a student is having difficulty meeting 
because of the lagging skill that we just checked off. I find that this process is the best way to accomplish a few very important missions and also the best way to keep some things that we don't want to have happen from happening. So let me talk about one of the things we don't want to have happen. We don't want to identify an unsolved problem and then ponder which lagging skill is associated with that unsolved problem. And that's what happens, I find, when we start with unsolved problems and then identify lagging skills. Um, that leads to, I find, rather lengthy discussions about which lagging skill is it. And we don't want to spend our meeting time primarily focused on which lagging skill is it. First of all, it could be multiple lagging skills. And secondly, if you ask me to prioritize what do we want to spend our time doing in our meeting, we want to spend our time homing in on highly specific unsolved problems. We do not want to spend our time trying to figure out which lagging skills account for that unsolved problem. It's okay if we don't have great precision on which lagging skill is it. First of all, we're not going to be able to get great precision on that. Secondly, it could be multiple lagging skills, and that's okay. It is not necessary to get great precision, not even desirable to get great precision, because the amount of time it would take, and it's an unachievable goal anyways, which lagging skill best accounts for that unsolved problem. That's not what we want to spend our time doing. We want to spend our time verifying that the student does have lagging skills by checking them off as they apply, but then devoting our energy to identifying unsolved problems in accordance with the guidelines that I've been talking a great deal about lately. I'll rush through them now because we've talked about them on other programs. Uh, guideline number one, leaving challenging behaviors out of the unsolved problem and replacing them with the word difficulty. Number two, leaving adult theories out of the unsolved problem. Adult explanations for why the unsolved problem is there. We don't want to spend our time doing that. Guideline number three, splitting rather than clumping the unsolved problems, that can take a very long time. And that's what we want to put our energy into. Because see, you're not going to lead off plan B with a lagging skill. You're going to lead off plan B with an unsolved problem. And if the unsolved problem contains challenging behavior, then you increase the likelihood that the kid won't talk to you. If the unsolved problem contains an adult theory, that's probably wrong, it's going to make it more difficult for the kid to talk to you. If the unsolved problem is clumped, you end up talking, as I've been saying frequently lately, about you end up talking about mush 
because the unsolved problem is too general, too vague, too broad. Fourth guideline, you want to be as specific as possible by including, when it's relevant, information related to who, who is the unsolved problem with, what, what's the unsolved problem about, and where, when. What, where, and when is this unsolved problem happening? So the energy in having this discussion about the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problem is misplaced when we are spending a lot of time discussing which lagging skill accounts for a particular unsolved problem. We want to devote our energy to really sticking with the guidelines and identifying unsolved problems. The energy is on unsolved problems, not on lagging skills. Another thing we don't want to have happen in this meeting is I find that when people start with unsolved problems, the lagging skills often get short shrift, and now the meeting often devolves into all kinds of theories about why the unsolved problem is there, theories that may have nothing to do with lagging skills, and now we're spending a lot of time doing something that we don't want to spend almost any time doing in the meeting, theorizing about unsolved problems. Nope, the goal of the meeting is to identify the skills the kid is lacking, check them off, and to identify the unsolved problems that are associated with each lagging skill, safe in the recognition that multiple lagging skills could be associated with the same unsolved problem, and that it may not be possible to identify with great precision the lagging skills that I account for the unsolved problem the best. That's not the best use of time in a meeting. What things do we want to have happen in the meeting? Besides those I've discussed already, we've talked a little bit about those things we don't want to have happen. One of the things we do want to have happen is we want to make sure that people are clear about the connection between lagging skills and unsolved problems. Even though we don't want to be supremely precise about it, the precision part is on the unsolved problems, but we do want that connection between lagging skill and unsolved problem to be quite clear for people. And what makes it clear for people? Well, we started with the lagging skill, and then we started thinking of these specific examples of times when that skill was getting in the way. Boy, you're going to walk out of that meeting crystal clear that the kid is lacking skills, even though that may not have been the thing that people spent the most time talking about in the meeting. They are crystal clear this kid is lacking important skills, and that's one of the main goals of this meeting. We want people leaving the meeting now quite clear in their recognition, boy, he's lacking a lot of skills. That's why I recommend that people start with lagging skills and move on to unsolved problems. Don't Oh, don't go down the entire list of lagging skills, checking off all the lagging skills that apply and then go back to unsolved problems. I don't recommend that people do it that way either. If you happen upon a lagging skill that applies to a particular student, 
check it off, and don't move down, move over. Identify the unsolved problems that are associated with that lagging skill. As I always say, light bulbs should go on when the ALSIP is used this way. People saying, boy, he is really lacking a lot of skills. That's fantastic, especially when somebody in the meeting wasn't saying that before they walked into the meeting. Boy, no wonder what we've been doing hasn't been working. That's just beautiful. It is especially beautiful when it's uttered from the lips of someone who thought we should just keep doing what we've been doing that hasn't been working for two or three years, safe in the belief that it would eventually work. As I always say, this next one comes with a rather shaken look attached to it. Boy, I'm kind of feeling bad about how I've been treating him. Uh, Those are good moments because that is someone who is now simultaneously reflecting on how they've been treating a kid and what they now know about the kid. And they're a little shook up because how they've been treating him makes no sense whatsoever, given what they now know about him. Lagging skills, unsolved problems. And the connection between those lagging skills and unsolved problems is crystal clear. Even though we didn't devote a great deal of energy to figuring out which lagging skills accounted, best accounted for and explained the unsolved problems. More light bulbs go on when people say, so So you're saying that this kid only looks bad when these unsolved problems pop up. That's right. And you're saying that the unsolved problems don't pop up. We know they're coming. That's right. Any unsolved problem that we've written in on the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems is by definition predictable. Once you identify a kid's lagging skills and unsolved problems, his challenging episodes and unsolved problems become highly predictable. When people say that a kid's lagging skills and unsolved problems aren't highly predictable, it's usually because they haven't yet participated in a meeting, a discussion, with the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems as the discussion guide. And you're saying that if we solve these problems with the kid, he won't get upset about them anymore? That's right. And you're saying that we can solve these problems proactively because we know they're coming. That's right. 
a lot of what goes on with discipline with kids occurs in the heat of the moment and is an act of desperation because we haven't used the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems yet to help people get the right lenses on about a kid. What skills is he lacking? He's lacking skills. It's not manipulative, attention-seeking, coercive, unmotivated limit testing. It's lagging skills. It's not competing contingencies. It's not secondary gain. It's lagging skills. They got the right lenses on. They know what they're working on because we put all of that hard work in on the front end to identify those unsolved problems. That's where the energy of this meeting's going into, as I've been saying lately. It's not that hard to check off lagging skills, homing in on unsolved problems that meet the criteria. Hard. Worth every minute of it. Plus, the better we get our act together on the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems by making sure that those unsolved problems meet the guidelines, the easier it is to get Plan B started when we introduce the unsolved problem to the kid in the empathy step. I also always say that the more we struggle toward the unsolved problem well, the more clarity we get on what the kid's actually struggling with, not why, what, who, where, when. So there's my somewhat long-winded answer to your question about why I would do lagging skills first. Yeah, there may be some commonalities in unsolved problems, but I actually don't think that's the best way to figure out which skills the kid is lacking. I think that's going to take a lot longer um, do I think that you can come up with some hypotheses about what skills a kid is lacking based on his unsolved problems? Sure. Do I think that's the most efficient way to go about accomplishing the mission? Probably not. There you have it. And there you have our program for today. Thanks for listening in. Uh, I hope, as always, that this has been an informative program for you. Next week, of course, we will have on April Fool's Day uh, the Educators Panel, um, our second-to-last Educators Panel of this school year. Um, and after that, we'll have more of Anytown Elementary. And then we'll finish out the year by helping people think about what they want to do to get this show on the road next school year. Talk to you next week. Next week, 